Okay, if you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture that we're going to be looking at today is in your bulletin. It's there on the inside back cover. We're going to be focused on verses 3 and 4 today, but we're going to read from verse 1. Just to catch the context, there's also a place to take notes there uh, in the bulletin. So this is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Friends, listen, this is God's word. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This is God's Word. Okay, I want to share with you some eulogies that you would never, ever want to hear of anyone, especially you. Okay? Things that you don't want to hear at your funeral or anyone else's. His life was very busy, but I don't know if it actually had any impact. He didn't spend enough time with his spouse or family. She was distracted by so many things that just didn't matter. She was always trying to get other people to think that she was important. He worked all the time but had little meaningful results. He spent all of his life in hobbies. He pursued pleasure instead of meaning. She never seemed to appreciate the people closest to her. Right, here's a tombstone. Fred Chandler, his life is over and it didn't matter. Listen to me. It is worth all of the energy that you have. It is worth all the energy that you have to avoid these things being said about you. With every ounce of strength, with every bit of willpower that you have, you should use it to avoid these things being said about you. God wants you to expend all the energy that you have to avoid eulogies and tombstones like this. To avoid regrets and to live a life that's worth remembering. The two verses that we're going to look at today in 2 Timothy will tell you how to do this. Okay? They're going to teach us about leadership and the kind of leadership that's worth following. And so, the next slide. We see this is the first blank on your, uh, on your handout there in the bulletin. Leaders worth following are focused on God's priorities. Okay? Leaders worth following are focused on God's priorities. And that word focus is key. Focus is an incredibly important quality in a leader. Focus, uh, it's even rewarded in our culture today. Right? People respect leaders who are focused, who know what they want, and they're committed to getting it. They make great sacrifices to get it. Businesses that are focused prosper. Uh, there are lots of books, again, in the business management and leadership section that talk about focus. Right? So many things have been written about focus. Businesses that get distracted from their core mission or their core identity often fail. 
organizations, even churches that don't have a clear identity or a clear mission are also destined to either fail or to be irrelevant. And so in this passage, Paul is calling Timothy to be a leader worth following. He wants Timothy to focus. And so Paul compares Timothy's role to that of a soldier. He says that leaders need to act like soldiers in specific ways. And I think it's a good comparison because God wants each one of you to follow this and to be like a soldier in this way. And so the first thing that we see about leaders who have focus on God's priorities, the first point there is that leaders expect to suffer. This is verse 3. Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And so to better understand this, this expectation of suffering, I asked a number of the soldiers who are part of our church uh, some questions about suffering. I asked them, is it helpful to expect to suffer in the military? And here's some of what they had to say. Here's one, uh, one response. Yes, I expect to suffer. Every time I leave the wire, I fully expect not to return. Okay? Every time I leave the wire, I fully expect not to return. I think leaving the wire means going out on a mission. I think. Each of my guys has this same mindset. It is not in a suicidal manner, but, listen to this, if death or serious injury is a foregone conclusion, it allows me to focus on completing the mission and getting my men home safely without the distraction of self-preservation. Fear, while sometimes present, is no longer a factor. It's what Paul says. Expect to suffer. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Someone else said this. You just accept the fact that a lot of time you're going to feel physically uncomfortable. You're going to have limited assets and you're going to be asked to do extraordinary tasks. Marines enjoy the fact that they're given impossible tasks. We just get it done, and there's a lot of pride in that. Still another one of our soldiers said, we actually tell our guys that you need to accept that suffering is part of the job, especially when it comes to long hours, deployments, time away from home, losing fellow Marines. The idea is that there's a greater mission that must be met. It must be accomplished, and if you spend your time focused on your suffering, you'll never get the mission accomplished. We practice suffering through our training before we leave to go overseas so that they'll understand what it'll feel like to be in that situation. Like This is exactly what Paul is saying. He's telling us we need to, be, we need to expect to suffer if we're going to be focused on God's priorities. Just decide. Expect it. Another one of our soldiers said, my days are actually better when I expect the work to be tough or the hours long, because then you're not disappointed. He went on, he said, my wife and I expected our engagement and our first year and a half of marriage to be difficult because of my deployment and our being stationed apart. And it made a huge difference that we had planned for it because it was suffering. We gave up a lot during that time, and we would remind ourselves of our choices and why they were right and good. We trusted in God, but the expectation helped us deal with the separation. And so, leaders expect to suffer. Um, And when they expect suffering, uh, it resets their expectations. 
right? It makes suffering more bearable. Paul is telling Timothy and he's telling us that you need to have single-minded, pure-hearted devotion as though you are a soldier of King Jesus. Now, what is interesting about the way that Paul tells Timothy to, uh, to suffer is he says, share in suffering. Right? Share in suffering. And so what this means for Timothy, what this means for leadership, is that part of leadership means that you will suffer with others. Okay? Your expectation is that you're going to suffer with others. And so I want to show you this, um, these two places where this same phrase is used. It's the same word in the Greek, this word that's translated share in suffering. And it's cool because there's a progression. Right? In chapter 1, verse 8, Paul said this to Timothy. Um, in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, um, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner. And so there, you have, it's an encouragement to Timothy from Paul. Right, where Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, look, I am with you in your suffering. He's saying, join me. I'm already suffering, and you're joining me. Let me encourage you. You're not alone. And so Paul's encouraging Timothy in chapter 1, verse 8. And now, in chapter 2, Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, I need you now to encourage others. What you have gotten from me, the encouragement you've gotten from me, I now want you to share with others. And so he want, he's saying, look, Timothy, here's what you need to say to others. Look, I am with you in your suffering. Right? And so this is the maturity progression. Right? The way that Christianity works is that first you understand and you receive the blessings of Jesus. And then, very quickly, Jesus will ask you to then share what you have received with others. This is what we saw last week, right? What, I, what you've heard from me and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's, chapter, it's verse 2 in this chapter. And so chapter 1, he tells Timothy, look, I'm with you. And now he says, Timothy, you need to be with others. And so this is a call to community. And I want to share with you a quote that when I came across this, it literally blew my mind when I thought about this idea of sharing and suffering um, and being leaders worth following. It's from a book called uh, A Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer. And he describes what it means to suffer with someone else. He says, look, these people who are willing to suffer with others, they must be willing to be changed by someone else's loss, though they may not have been directly affected by it. You hear that? They must be willing to be changed by someone else's loss, though they may not have been directly affected by it. Good comfort requires empathy. It forces adjustment, and sometimes it mandates huge sacrifices. Comforters must be prepared to let the pain of another become their own, and so let it transform them. They will never be the same after that decision. If you make a decision to suffer with someone, and you take on their pain, and you realize that with the loss that someone else experiences, they'll be changed forever, you make a decision that I also will be changed forever. When I'm with them, I'm never going to treat them as though this never happened ever again. I'm going to suffer with them. Then he goes on, he says, their own world will be permanently altered. They are changed because they chose to get involved. So this is the, these are the people that are, that are coming alongside and suffering with others. 
right? They are changed because they chose to get involved and to allow my suffering. And he lost his wife and his daughter in a car accident. This is the author, right? They chose to get involved and allow my suffering to become theirs. They refused to give me only a month or a year to return to life as it was for me before the loss. Since they knew life would not be the same for me, they decided that it would not be the same for them either. So it's not just that leaders expect to suffer, but leaders who are focused on God's priorities expect to suffer with others. They're willing to make a commitment to suffer with others. To enter into their pain, to enter into their suffering, to make it their own. God has wired us in such a way that we need each other. We need community. We need relationships. And when we are hurting, we need people who will suffer with us. Who will listen, who will understand. Man, who will just enter in and as best they can will feel our pain. I know many of you have experienced that. I know many of you know what it's like to have someone share in suffering with you. Paul is saying, I want you now to turn and look for others and expect to suffer with others. So leaders first expect to suffer. Um, Second, leaders are focused or leaders focus on their mission. Leaders focus on their mission. This is verse 4. He says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So this idea of avoiding civilian pursuits means focusing on God's priorities and not focusing on other things. Okay, It's putting off and it's putting on. This is the key to keeping us from a life of irrelevance, from a life of meaninglessness and insignificance. So what are these civilian pursuits? Again, I asked our soldiers to shed some light on this. Here's what one person said. I'd say that civilian pursuits are anything that are a distraction from the mission. Anything that's a distraction from the mission. Unfortunately, common examples are alcohol-related incidents, which effectively remove someone and those they lead from the fight. Countless hours are wasted on dealing with this kind of thing. Another soldier said, um, pursuing personal gain instead of the mission. Using the power and the authority that you have for your own benefit rather than to accomplish the mission and to serve the men who are, and the women who are leading or who are serving under you. And so these are things that need to be put off, right? No soldier gets entangled in these civilian pursuits. And so if that's what we put off, what do we put on? What is God's mission? Right? If only it were that easy, right? If only we could just get orders from God so that we know exactly what he expects from us. Right? It would be so much easier. Well, here are God's, here's God's mission. This is God's mission for us. God's mission for you. Five things. Rick Warren has, I think, done about as good a job as I've seen in the purpose-driven life, in the purpose-driven church, He talked about these are God's purposes for why you exist. Okay, and he says it's worship. It starts with worship, right? God has designed you to have a relationship with him, first and foremost, where you worship him, 
where you honor him as great and glorious, where you serve and obey him for all that he has done and all that Jesus has done. Um, We are to worship God. Then he also wants us in community. God wants you to have relationships with others. Spiritual friendships that encourage your faith, that encourage your ability to worship and deepen your relationship with God. He wants us, He's made us for community. Then, third, for spiritual maturity, God wants you to grow, to be more and more like Jesus. Right? You learn from Jesus, you follow Jesus, and you allow Jesus to send you out. And then, service. God calls all of us to spend a portion of our lives serving others. Right? Serving in the church, serving in our homes, serving in the community, serving in the workplace. Right? God's mission, His mission for us is, to, is service. And then last, it's making disciples. Making disciples. God wants your words and your actions to show Jesus and what He's like. And then to share Jesus and His incredible victory over sin and death and evil. Right? The incredible way that he has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God wants your life to show that. And then he wants you to share that message with people who don't know Jesus so that they can become Christians. We call that evangelism. Uh, but also to then train and disciple people um, as they become Christians and once they are Christians in the church. So we make disciples. And so this is God's mission for us. And so if this is God's mission, then again, what are civilian pursuits? What are civilian pursuits? They are anything that keeps us from God's purposes. Anything that keeps us from God's mission. Okay? Anything that keeps you from fulfilling God's mission is a civilian pursuit in this passage. I asked the soldiers, what do you do to help stay focused on your mission as a soldier? And one said, just correctly prioritizing what I give my time and resources to. It's pretty good. Correctly prioritizing what I give my time and resources to. Then another one said, um, cling to the standards and the purpose for which you've been selected to serve. Yes, selected. As military members, we are screened and selected to serve, just as Timothy and the original 12 were selected. And if we've been selected, we need to follow the mission. If you're like me, you may be thinking what I was thinking as I was walking through God's mission for us. What I was thinking was so, does this mean I can't surf? Do you know what I'm asking? Like, does this mean that I can't, that my life has to be completely consumed with spiritual stuff and I can't go to the beach, right? Because, you know what, that's, I mean, come on, right? That's not spiritual. Does that mean that I can't go out to eat? Does that mean I can't go to Starbucks? Does that mean I can't, right? Do you know where I'm going with this? Does that mean I can't watch television? Really? Anybody else thinking this? I mean, how do you take this list and then go, like, because then you begin to look at your life and go, uh, uh (laughs) uh-oh. 
I might be doing one or two of these. Maybe I'm doing all five, but there's a lot of stuff that I'm doing that doesn't fit in any one of these categories. Does that mean all of that needs to be cut away? There's a way that I could say yes, but I don't know if that's helpful for you. <laughs> so let me say no, um, but then I'm going to sneak in the back door, okay? If you're going to worship God, does worshiping God mean that you only ever and always are doing work that 99 people would say is spiritual? Does God say, I want you to work for seven days? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. We have to remember the kind of God that we have. That that part of you that felt like God was encroaching on some of your free time um, might not really be God. Okay, You might have a, an image of God that's not true to who he really is and how he's revealed himself in Scripture. Okay? Now, having said that, there may be things in your life that need to go. Okay? So we'll get to that in a second. There are things in my life that need to go because I've come face-to-face -face again with these purposes, and there are things that I'm doing that just don't fit. Okay? So we'll talk about that in a second. But first, I want to rem remind you that God has said to us, I want you to work and rest. God says, I mean, that's how he made the world, right? Even God, he didn't need to do this, but he did this for us. He did this so that it would be built into the fabric of creation. This idea of working for six days and then resting. Exodus 31, 17 even says, God rested on the seventh day and refreshed himself. God never gets tired, but he's acting like us. He's showing us what we need as human beings made in his image. So God is a God of work and rest, right? Every seven days, God says, whatever you're doing, in whatever ways you're trying to be productive, stop. Stop and rest. Rest. If you read the Bible, uh, even in Genesis, there's morning and there's evening, right? In the morning, God gets to work. And in the evening, he stops working until the next morning. Right? And so the, the rhythm of Sabbath, the rhythm of morning and evening remind us that God isn't telling us to work all the time. But he's a God of work and rest. And so rest actually is part of worship. Every time you stop working, right? Well, maybe not every time, sorry. When you take um, allotted times to conscientiously stop working because that's what God has said. God is honored by that. You worship him. Okay? Rest actually reminds you that you're not the king. Okay? Rest reminds you that you're not God, but you're a soldier of the king. Right? You're one of his children. Rest strengthens us so that we can go again the next day. And so God is a God of rest. And so this doesn't mean that you are always, only, ever, always on. Okay? God says, I want you to rest. I want there to be built into your life and your schedule rest. But it's more than that. It's more than that. God is also a God of celebration. 
Right? Again, as you read the Bible, God celebrates. Right? There are seasons of hard work, and then there are seasons of feasting in the Old Testament. Um, when Jesus showed up at a wedding, he didn't just kind of like sit in the back in the, in the corner, you know, over here and be like, yeah, I guess you know, as soon as they're done, maybe I'll start telling people about God. Right? That's not what Jesus did at the wedding. What Jesus did was he said, oh, you guys are out of wine? Hey, let me make you 180 gallons more. 180 gallons of wine. After all the wine they had was already drunk. Jesus celebrates life. Right? As we've done series on giving in the past. Remember we've talked about there's four ways to honor God with your money. And it's really wonderful to think about these categories because it reminds us of who God is. And so, yes, you're supposed to tithe your money. Um, yes, you're supposed to provide for your needs, right, with your money. You're supposed to care for others with your money. And then you're also supposed to what? Celebrate. When you celebrate with your money, God is worshipped. God is honored. God joins your celebration. And so, resting and celebrating are part of a life that is following God's mission. Okay? Resting, celebrating is part of worship. Resting and celebrating is actually one of the ways that we build community. Okay? Resting and celebrating is actually part of spiritual maturity. Okay? Sometimes you think, well, the people who are super spiritual, the people who never stop working, not according to my Bible. The spiritually mature have a balance, a rhythm balance of work and rest and celebration, right? Serving others. So if you throw a party, <laughs> invite people over, just make sure you're serving the food, right? Serve the drinks. I mean, so I'm just showing you ways that, that celebrating and rest can fit into God's mission. And then making disciples. If you teach other people to rest and to celebrate, Okay, that's also part of your mission. And so this is so important. Right? This is so important for us because it reminds us of who God is. It reminds us of balance. It reminds us not to get, I don't know if it's too full of ourselves or not to think that we are God. Right? God does want us to focus on his priorities. These are his priorities. And I think we get the work part and even the spiritual work part we get that part right, but what we miss out on is that it's balance. It's balance with work and celebration. Okay? And so, focusing on God's priorities, um, focusing on the mission that God has given us, does include working hard. It does include suffering with people. It does include making decisions where you have to ask yourself, because really, once you've understood these five purposes in the balanced way of both work, rest, and celebration, you do need to then recalibrate your life. Okay? You need to ask yourself, what am I doing with my time? Am I actually following God's mission or not? These priorities really do help you filter your life. These can bring simplicity and clarity because you can ask, does this thing fit with God's priorities in my life? And this limits what we need to do. Right? It limits what we need to do. And so everything that doesn't fit in our order, right, in our, in our orders, in our mission, everything that doesn't fit, everything that distracts us from this mission, entangles. It entangles us. 
And so sin, sin entangles us. Sin in all of its forms, right? Um, Sex, money, and power are probably like the biggest ways that our culture really tries to reshape our thinking. Um, Trying to convince us that, wait, no, 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 real happiness comes if you get all the sex you can, right? Real happiness comes when you have more money. It doesn't matter how much you have, you just need a little bit more, right? Real happiness comes when you have power and control over your life, Um, All these things sell happiness, but they can't deliver it long term. And all of these things are entangling, right? Sin entangles us. Um, These civilian, it's a civilian pursuit that distracts us from God's mission. That's what sin does. Uh, But it's not just sin. Um, It's also good things done to an extreme. And when I think about that, I think about sort of the, the culture of incessant productivity that characterizes us here in San Diego. Um, Some cultures don't struggle with the need to do more, but we do. Like there are countries, I was thinking about this 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 week, there are countries that don't care how productive you are, but not ours. In our culture, we're constantly being offered new ways to spend our time. We're constantly being offered new things to do that take up more and more of our time, right? And this ridiculous productivity, this idea of needing to be in constant performance mode, uh, the endless self-promotion that can characterize social media. Um, You get to a place where you always feel like there's more to be done, right? There's always more activities, more production, more information, more websites to check, more blogs to read, more things to study, more ways to serve. It's just constant pursuit. I mean, I know people who feel like if I don't constantly, vigilantly continue to perform, I will lose my place. I mean, I remember when I think the first head coach in the NFL brought a bed into his office It started an avalanche. Because if I don't do what he's doing now, I'm going to fall behind. This incessant productivity, it entangles us. It entangles us. It's like a spider web. Right? It's like walking into a giant spider web where it's just like all over everywhere. This is what these civilian um, pursuits do to us. Millions of strands in your hair, on your arm, and your toes. And, it's, and it's, it's, it's not just that it just feels uncomfortable. There's a fear involved, right? There's a fear involved because whoever built this thing is now coming to get me. Right? And that's what happens. There's a spider that's coming. And it bites you. And what it wants to do, what spiders do when they bite you, is they want to anesthetize you. These civilian pursuits will put you to sleep and wrap you up so that your life is irrelevant. That's what all of the distractions are. They are efforts made by the culture, made by the devil himself, to make your life irrelevant. And that's what's happening. 
in our culture today, in our lives today, in our own church, right? This is what all of us struggle with. And what Paul is doing here is he's sort of ripping off the cover and he's showing us what's going on. He's showing us how we get entangled in civilian pursuits. And this is important, right? This is so vital for us. For you to understand this, it's so important because it will guard you from regrets and it will give you an abundant life. As your pastor, I don't want you to be irrelevant or meaningless. I don't want you to fritter your life away entangled and asleep. And you need to understand, it's our next slide, if you don't commit to change now, your heart will harden into calcified irrelevance. If you don't commit to untangling yourself from things that distract you from God's mission in your life, then your heart will be hardened. Okay, Because right now you're being exposed to Jesus and His truth. You're being exposed to His mission for your life. And if you don't commit to moving in this direction, if you don't commit to changing now, then your heart will leave this place harder than it was when you walked in. Every time we see the truth of Jesus and we don't follow it, our hearts are hardened. And in this case, your heart will be hardened into calcified irrelevance. There is no neutral. There is no neutral. You must have God's priorities, His mission. And so this week, your homework, I want you to do some work and identify the things that entangle you. What are the civilian pursuits that distract you and entangle you from God's mission? Make a list. Make a list. Um, my list includes some websites that are not evil, but the quantity of time that I spend on them distracts me and it entangles me in civilian pursuits. <coughs> ESPN.com. <coughs> um, we have a book that we offer to all of our guests on the info table in the back. It's just called Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. And I finished reading it today. It took me a while because I was so busy. I couldn't get to it. Um, and, uh, and in this book, he talks about the addiction that we have to being connected. And he speaks about it in a way that just helped expose me again to the way that just the trap of being connected all the time entangles me and it pulls me away from God's priorities and God's mission. And so again, your homework this week is to just write down your distractions, write down the things that keep you from God's priorities, and just bring them to, the, to God and say, God, I don't want my heart to be hardened into calcified irrelevance. Commit yourself to God's priorities and just ask God, what can I do this week to move in the direction of your mission? How can I begin this week to embrace your mission for my life? 
Because I just want to, again, if you don't get serious about this, you will be sung to sleep. Some of us are already sleeping. So leaders expect to suffer. Leaders focus on their mission. Our third point is that leaders please Jesus. Leaders who are focused on God's priorities please Jesus. Again, verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits and his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I asked soldiers, like, what does it mean for you to have to, you know, to please the one who enlisted you? And got these responses. Well, my strongest desire is to not let my teammates down. I am more concerned with doing my job in such a way that I can look my men in the eye and know that I have done my best. It's what it's about. It's not about being perfect, okay? If part of you feels like, well, man, in order for me to get where I think I should be, it's just going to take so much effort. It's going to take so much time. Why even bother? Um, If that's what you're thinking, please understand that Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, right? If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, that will connect you to me and it will bring relevance, meaning, and significance into your life. I mean, he said, if you have faith this small, you can move mountains. And that's reality. In some ways, really, it's just the direction of our life that matters. Okay? Because all of us are at different places. And if you're just starting out, or if you've been doing this for 50 years or, or more, like the point here is to, just, is to be following after Jesus. Right? It's to make it our aim to please him. And Jesus is pleased with your heart's desire when it's shown in action. Jesus isn't looking for perfect people. It's his responsibility to make you perfect in the future. In the meantime, Jesus wants your heart. He wants your commitment. And he wants to see that you are moving toward him. Right? So if you're here or you're here or you're here or you're in the garage, right? What Jesus is looking at first, what Jesus is looking at this week from every single one of us is are we stepping in his direction at all? Okay, because if we are, that pleases Jesus. For us to be able to look him in the eye and to say, I'm doing my best. Can you say that to Jesus? I'm doing my best. That's hard. It's hard. But when we live our lives according to God's mission, It makes these other kinds of eulogies at the end of life. We see, you'd hear people say, well, yeah, she was focused on both God and people in her life. Everything that he did was part of his overall life plan. She celebrated, but didn't waste time. He had time to rest. He worked hard and enjoyed life. She made a real difference in my life. She had a life of real meaning. He mattered to me. And what's amazing is that as we live lives like this, as we demonstrate 
God's priorities in our lives as we follow these things, the greatest thing is that you please Jesus. Right? You please the one who enlisted you. I mean, after all that Jesus has done, right? After he comes to conquer the sin of the world, as he comes to save you so that you would be justified and reconciled to God, right? As he works in you to make disciples of others, right? He does all of these things for you, in you, and then through you. And now we see here that if we live according to his priorities, according to his mission, we can please him. We make him happy with the things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we think. And when we do this, we get one last eulogy. And we get a eulogy from the one who enlisted us. Right? He's the one who calls us to this life of focus. And Jesus adds his eulogy to all others. This is the eulogy that everyone is longing to hear. And now you know how you can hear it too. It's this, Harbor Church. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus has this waiting for you. If you're committed to him and you focus on his priorities in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to follow you with all of our hearts. Jesus, we confess that we've been entangled. We've been put to sleep in so many ways. And we thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and saying to us the hard things. Thank you for confronting us and doing it in a way that draws us closer to you. Because you've given us your grace We have your strengthening grace to join in suffering with others. We have your strengthening grace to keep us focused on your mission and not to be entangled in the the pursuits of things that just don't matter. And so right now, Jesus, we want to just come to you in the quietness of our hearts and we want to pray and we want to give to you things that we know are not necessary in our lives. We want to confess to you the things that have entangled us, the things that have put us to sleep. Jesus, thank you that you make those who are broken happy. Thank you for blessing the poor in spirit. Thank you for blessing us when we mourn because we have failed to live by your priorities. Thank you for drawing near to us. Sinners, sinners though we are, you love us and you are changing us. Strengthen us this week. Give us wisdom to know your priorities in our lives and help us to know what things are part of us resting and celebrating life and what are the things that we can do without. Help us make progress this week 
Jesus, we don't want our hearts to harden. We want our hearts to be soft. We want, our, our, we want to be in your presence with joy, knowing that we've given everything to you. And so help us this week to take steps in this direction, this direction back to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.